Hello and welcome to the Beehive Jive. Um, we are Paul and Tracy. We're two beekeeping friends from South London in the UK. Um, and we get together and we talk about our adventures and experiences um, in keeping bees. Um, so thank you for listening to us. Hello, Paul. Hello. Do you notice that we're sitting further apart? I know. We need to start laughing halfway through the intro. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we that cracked worked. the intro. We have to sit in different rooms. Yes. <laughs> you stay in your house and I'll stay in mine <laughs> and then it should work. <laughs> very comfy. It's a very comfy episode of the Beehive Jive because we're sitting on, on sofas. Yeah. And there's the, the lighting's kind of chilled. It's the chill episode. It is the chill episode. Late night chill. Late night chill. So how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. I um I managed to because this episode's about the honey show, the national yep. honey show, because we went to it, and um, I've been going for a couple of years now because you introduced me to it, and up to then I just thought that's a bit nerdy, uh, and I do enjoy going. Uh, what I have noticed is when I get back from work because I take Thursday and Friday off, and people go, "Oh, you've been away." I said, "Yeah, yeah," and I go, "What do, what do you do? What, what what have you been doing when you're away?" And I'd say, to, well, I've been to this beekeeping conference. And then it goes really quiet. <laughs> oh, oh, okay then. <laughs> what do you do there? Said, well, I said, listen to people. And you can just look see them looking at you and think, well, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I've noticed that a couple of people have gone, especially on the phone, it's like, what are you doing? Right, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I've had that too. But you get that in beekeeping. Yeah, yeah. It's up there with bus spotting as a hobby people it, don't quite understand. Yeah. So, but this is the first year I've actually ever been able to go for the first all three days because every other year, even I've booked that day off, I've kind of, my my work has got in the way of it, whereas this year hasn't. It was fantastic. I enjoyed it. So um, for those who don't know, the National Honey Show is uh, the oldest and largest uh, beekeeping show in the world. I think which one's this? You reading your program? This was number eighty-eight this year. Eighty-eight. So this is the eighty-eighth one. It's uh, amazing. Yeah. So it started in nineteen twenty-three in the Crystal Palace, which is a very famous building in London. It built. It looked like a giant greenhouse. It was built out mm. of um, glass. Hence, it was called the Crystal Palace, and it was where the Great <laughs> Expedition Exposition. I can't even say the word. That's it. Exposition. That'd do. Yeah. Uh, and it, the National Hunting Show was there and. Started in 1923 in the Crystal Palace. Um, it carried on until 1936 when the, the Crystal Palace burnt down. Yeah, that was a shame, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that candle-making workshop wasn't very good, was it? You would think that being made of glass and, and steel. No, no, it burnt. It went like a... I know, I've seen photos of it. It went like a candle. You can still go to the original, if you go to Crystal Palace, where they got all the... yeah. They they got the models of the Victor what the Victorians thought the dinosaurs looked like, which is just big bulldogs. Um, so you oh, I've walk- never seen. Have you those? never seen? That? I've never. I've seen the site where the Crystal Palace was. How have you long have you? Because lived originally here? it was in Hyde Park, I think, and then they took it to Crystal Palace. Yeah. So the suburb gave the suburb its name, but I've never seen right. the dinosaurs in the summer. Don't go now because it's winter and it's horrible. But in the summer. Go for a walk around there because they've got these big plaster, um, huge, and that's what they thought dinosaurs looked like. And they've all got they're all on four legs, <laughs> just like big bald dogs and crocodiles. But it's really, and they they're on little islands in ponds as you walk through like a the, oh, the really? forest. You, you can see them. They they they've staged them so they're kind of looking around a tree or standing up. When I was a kid, <laughs> I used to love the Crystal Palace. That was my I used to love going it's there. It, yeah, it sounds great. I want to see it. So, um, obviously, not the Crystal Palace anymore because that burnt down. Mm. Uh, they they hold it at Epsom Racecourse. Sandown. Oh, Sandown. Yeah. Why do I think Epsom? Because I'm dumb. It, well, it's not that far away. No. Yeah. And the best thing about holding it there is it's just up the road from the Bear Pub, where <laughs> where, where every year we go and you have a fish finger sandwich. <laughs> yes. I love that pub. That's a great pub. Mm. The Bear Pub, Yulai Street. Mm. Top tip. Um, and a good thing about the honey show is uh, obviously you can take all your beekeeping competition entries, mm-hmm. everything, like wax, um, 
microscopy. I can't, I can't talk tonight. Microscope slides, uh, photography, uh, honey, honey, cakes, yeah. mead. Uh, they've even got a section where children make something. They've loosely. got everything. Yeah, it's Embroidery, wax flowers, yeah. wax model. You know, I mean, it's Dance, just amazing. Yeah. It's really, it's, and they have those um, classes where people build massive displays um, of all the main hive products. Um, so kind of, you know, these massive kind of floor-to-ceiling glass shelves with bottles of mead and honey and what it's just you know the effort that some people go to is just quite spectacular yeah it's great and they have a big uh all the big vendors are there so you can go around and buy your stuff i'm glad to say i haven't didn't buy any poly hives and i you, can't believe you didn't buy anything i, I lost a sp- bet with myself about that yeah i know you can you're going to buy something i didn't well i bought did buy stuff but i did not buy any poly hives or the smoker <laughs> Or the smoker, no. The beautiful copper smoker. It was a very pretty smoker. Those copper smokers, I'm sure they don't look as good after you put stuff in a set light to it. No. No. So I can imagine. Um, but I don't. I don't go for the shopping, uh, and I'm too lazy to put anything in the show. <laughs> I go for the lectures because every year they have um, a series of speakers, and it's a combination of very experienced beekeepers and bee farmers who will talk about you know, the practicalities of keeping bees and they they've last few years they've really attracted some of the world's best uh bee scientists yes they have so you've had uh in the past they had thomas seeley mm-hmm. heather matelier yeah he did a fantastic talk on uh um asian hornets and, yeah that and why, was amazing that was so memorable yeah i mean her talk was about why um the Asian honeybee covers its hive entrance in uh, chicken manure. Yeah. And the answer is to deter. Yeah, they forage wasps. manure, don't they? Yeah. Um, and this year they had uh, loads of speakers, but the one I really love was Ralph Buchler, who's the, um, he leads the Bee Institute in Germany. He's been doing it for about 20 years. And he, he was talking mainly about, um, well, he was talking about Varroa, and, and, and honestly, I, I kind of get bored listening to people talk about Varroa. But he was talking about how wild populations have developed resistance to Varroa. Uh, he was talking about the work they're doing to preserve the 10 strains of European honeybee and why it's so important. Uh, and uh, the thing I, the other thing he did, which was very practical, he was talking about doing forced brood breaks just as the flow starts as you're going to say June, mm. and what that impact is on the varroa load. So I, I really I really enjoyed his talks. Um, so the, it was – because what I find also is um, – because you're allowed to ask questions and the questions people ask, you can tell what they think, how they keep bees. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So – uh, a good example is Ralph was talking about how there's a program in, in Europe called Smart Bee. You can Google it, Smart Bees. Um, and really it's a program to develop, to promote the pr- preservation of the pure native strains, these 10 mm. strains, but also use them to develop varro-resistance yeah. stock. Uh, and what I liked about Ralph was he's very practical about it and he's very honest. So one of the things he said was what they discovered is they exchange these resistant populations. So they take ones from Germany and France and swap them with the science teams is that you can't actually import. Mm. So when you take like, um, it's the Arnaud ones from France and they put them in Germany, they died. Mm. And he said, it's interesting when you talk to the scientists that have been studying these ones in their native population, they all say the same thing, which is like, what are you doing to them? Because they, they thrive here. Uh, and he was saying that it's, it's, it, one of the big factors is beekeeping practice. So he said what, what he learned when he went back to the French team about his strain of bee that they sent them that were resistant in the wild was that in their beekeeping practice, when they in Germany, when they see the queen cells they start to knock them down and they take they make swarm control preparations the french team said oh we don't bother because they tear all those cells down wow and he said it was that change in beekeeping practice so he said 
Now, you can take a resistant stock and you can move it anywhere in the world. It doesn't make it resistant because how you keep the bees, that that locality and the bee, bee practice. And it was really interesting. Yeah. And um, Doesn't it make such sense as well? Because I think, you know, I mean, we had here, um, well, a few years ago um, at Lassie at the yeah. University of Essex. Yeah, or, or Sussex. South Sussex, yeah, Brighton. I, don't, I can't remember if it was East or West Sussex, but um, they had developed um, a hygienic um, strain of queens and they were selling them. Yeah. And I think a lot of people thought, well, if I buy one of those, I won't have problems with Varroa anymore. Um, and, it, you know, it just goes to show there's that's one piece of the puzzle yes. in managing Varroa. It's not the answer. Yeah. And it was just interesting because you could see people like, well, hang on, no, I want these wild populations to be resistant. But his his basic premise was he's not saying you can't select for resistance because like another talk he talked about how you did that. He was saying you, 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 your, your time is better spent selecting better bees locally than it is mm. trying to import all the genetic stock. And then he really went on to underline that by saying – um, by demonstrating the the impact of importing stock, so you're talking about the, the ten strains of bees um, we've got in Europe, ten strains of European honeybee, mm. and he's saying the most popular one, and he stat ranked them, um, and depending on the question asked after people saw the slide, where he where he really stat ranked them in terms of temperament, survivability, honey production, you could tell what strain of bees those people kept. Yeah, because the ones that kind of come down towards the bottom of that that rank has just been successful in the wild, but not the sort of bees you want to keep. Mm. A bit like a wolf, right? Wolf's really successful in the wild, but you want to keep it in your apartment. So <laughs> why not? <laughs> um, you could tell who kept what strains, depending on the question they asked. Because the further went there, down the stack, it's like, oh, well, are you sure that's the way? And it's, well, no, yeah, we did it across mm. hundreds of hives. But his point was, if you look at the Italian honeybee, which is really popular, uh, they've imported into Malta, and it's a an island strain of Maltine honeybee. And he was, and he's he put a video up and said this demonstrates why it's important to maintain these strains because they are a unique genetic resource, and the the behaviour. So in Malta, they've got a hornet called the Oriental hornet, which is just a big hornet, and he showed video of those hornets approaching a hive with the native Maltese honeybee in it. And they all came out to defend they, – the, the lid was off and they all came up out of the frames to defend the hive and the hornet kind of looked at it and thought, I don't, don't want it to flew off. And he was making the point that's the only strain of European honeybee that does that. Mm. So if you lose the Maltese honeybee, you lose that behaviour. And in Europe, we've got invasive hornets. Mm. And we had no natural defence against it. So he was really making the point about that local adaptability and why you should focus on it. It was mm. really, I mean, it was a really interesting talk. And you could, a lot of the stuff about resistant bees I find a bit fanciful. Well, it's, it's how do you keep them like yeah. that? I mean, that, and actually that's something I don't really understand about, you know, the 10... Um, races, no, not races, strains yeah. um, of European bees. It's, you know, like here, people, they will buy Italian bees or Carniolan bees um, and, and they don't, I mean, they don't stay, they can't stay pure for long no, at all. They just keep rebuying them. Do they? Yeah. God. You, they, they buy them for a few strokes. Well, I know one person that buys them every couple of years, new queens, to kind of keep that. To keep them. Mm. Um, you know. Keep bees how you want to keep bees, but um, yeah, it's hard work. <laughs> and did did he mention the British black bee? At he did, all? and that came further down. That was uh... <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise! Yeah, so because <laughs> I've heard they are no fun to. Basically, that's what it said. Keep. It said that um, they didn't produce as much honey. They didn't particularly have a good temperament, and the ones they had weren't particularly survivable. Now, obviously, I've never kept them, so I don't no. know. However, I mean, a lot of people absolutely love them, and yeah, you know, there's there's a whole movement, isn't there, devoted to trying to 
um, preserve them. Yeah, and yeah. and you know promote them. And then there are other people who say, forget it. They're not nice to work with, but they're really good in damp winters. I think. Yeah. Which is why they live here. Because <laughs> of the damp wind. Oh, damp, damp everything. But yeah. Yeah, that was funny. That came up, and people said, "Well, you know, maybe the wrong type of bees." And he said, "Well, you know, we had three populations of them." We were. It was really because I didn't realise there were ten strains of bees in Europe. No, actually, I I couldn't name them. And I didn't realise there were island strains like the Maltese. Yeah. One. And there's loads of populations of resistant collies all the way from the sort of top, yeah, you know, up in Norway, all the way down towards Spain. Mm. So it was really, you know, I was, I was quite. It was, I loved that. Was, he kicked it off with that conversation, and it was a really good presentation. So, like in terms of what he said about it's better to put your effort into breeding good local bees. Yeah. Would you ever buy queens? Would I buy them? Um, like from overseas? I wouldn't buy them from overseas. Because I think a lot of problems we've got is transporting bees. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, especially packages. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I personally wouldn't. But it's hard to tell, right? Because when you buy a bee, so like mm. if you think of the, without naming names, the biggest sort of vendors here that sell bees. Yeah. Um. When you go on their website, it will say local bee, and then it will say species of bee. So it will say, you know, Buckfast or mm. Russian. And I'm not entirely sure where they come from. i got a funny feeling they come from Greece. A lot of them come from Greece, yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't buy those ones. But I think um, suppliers like that, they do breed their AMM queens themselves. Some of them do, yeah. So um, – the, the Buckfast Queens, you can buy Buckfast Queens raised pretty much near Buckfast. Mm. Yeah, but I don't think I'd buy imported bees just because I'm not a great fan of bee imports. But yeah. I've made this argument to a supplier who's basically said, well, look, the amount of queens we have to, the market needs, you just won't, we won't breed them ourselves. Mm. Which is why I, I every year, a various success in raising my own queens, but I do it because I think it's a really important skill. Yeah, definitely. And also, I mean, I, I firmly believe that the best bees that you're going to have are local bees. So, you know, having in the past brought in Buckfast queens, I went through a real um, craze for Buckfasts. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I've just found since that... Yeah, it's it's my own local bees that have mated locally that seem to perform better. Yeah. You're not convinced. No, I, it's not that I'm not convinced. I, I agree with you. I, I, I guess my reason I've got this funny face, just because I've got a funny <laughs> face, but the reason I'm putting this funny face is um, I found that as I'm building my own stock, you go for a patch where they're, really not very nice, not very good bees. And I'm kind of just preser- carrying on with it and just thinking mm. I'll select out of that. And you do, you can select out of it. But maybe after two seasons of having super hot hives that you don't really like opening, it's really tempting to think, you know what, screw it, I'm just going to bump them all off and I'm going to buy in some some bees I know are going to be gentle and nice to work with. And I'll do yeah. that for a couple of seasons. That'd yeah. be great. So it's... That's why I'm pulling that face. Oh, no, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. And But I, I'm just kind of saying that if you bought from a local supplier um, uh, a mated and laying yeah. Apis mellifera mellifera queen, then, I mean, if it's a local now. supplier, you're getting your local, hmm? You're showing off now. <laughs> no, I just wanted to make sure I was saying it correctly. Um, you know, then you're getting your local traits anyway. Um, so yeah, but, um, I, I think that sounds absolutely fascinating. You know, what Mr. Buchler was saying about mm-hmm. the 10 strains and the need to preserve them and how they have different traits, which yeah. are advantageous. I mean, the, the interesting thing, cause I asked him afterwards, I said, you know, when you, when you say you can't import it, uh, does that, are you suggesting they've got different 
strategies to survive in it? And he said, well, not really. He said that the biggest impact is how you keep the bees. Mm-hmm. He said, because, and he used that story of when they, they brought in some French resistant bees and um, they thought they were just really swarm happy. Mm-hmm. But when they went back to the guys who, who were using them, said, no, 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 they, they tear those cells down. They just build them up and tear them down. Um, I'm not sure I could live with that. <laughs> that would freak me <laughs> That'd out. That would be a bit stressful, um, wouldn't it? And that was his point. His point, he's saying, I'm not saying you, a, a commercial beekeeper with hundreds of hives couldn't maintain a resistant stock in that population. Mm. I'm saying the idea of buying in a resistant population, importing resistance is not as is not as easy as it sounds because it's the beekeeping practice that has the biggest impact. Mm. And that's when he... Um, he went on to this this concept of brew break, which I thought was really interesting. So basically what he does in his apri um, is every year as the flow starts, he does like a modified shook swarm. So mm. you're the shook, shook swarm What guru. I was going to do. What's a shook swarm? <laughs> that you talked to me out of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about my, my cock up in a minute, but, but what's a shook swarm? <laughs> Explain what a shook swarm is. <laughs> okay. Go for it. Put me on the spot. Um, okay. Well, a shook swarm is basically where you, yeah, you induce a brood break, don't you, by shaking off all of the flying bees um, and removing the brood. So obviously you leave the queen in the flying bee. It stimulates a swarm yeah. condition. So you, what you end up with is the queen and the flying bees in a box and you remove all of the brood and destroy it um, mm. usually. Um, that's that's when you're doing it for varroa control, and that's usually why I've done it in spring is yeah. to um, control varroa, get them onto clean comb really quickly, and um, and stimulate them. I find it really stimulates them because you feed them after you do it yeah. to get them to draw yeah. all the comb. I I love shook swarms. I, I, know, I know, I know, because I think people who've never seen it think – well, you're setting about weeks because they've laid all that brood, but um, they catch up. Yeah, if you feed mm. them mm. and and put them on foundation, they rebuild that box almost you know, in a few weeks. It's back. Yeah, because they kind of get in there, like you say, they're getting a swarm and think, oh, we got growth. Um, what I never liked about that method is what you do with the brood. Yeah, is you just kill it. So, and also in the UK, it's done in spring, as it's done in sort of April. Yeah. So what he does, which I found really interesting, and I felt really guilty because I talked you out of it. He said, "I when the flow starts, so they delay it. So he's really on the edge of when they're going to swarm. And one of the things he said is they've selected for non-swarming. So they can normally get through May without a swarm. But say you're lucky enough, you get through May without a swarm. Just about the beginning of June with the flow, when those highs get wet with the flow, that's what he does. He takes, he lifts the brood flames out and he puts them in another hive, like an empty hive. Mm-hmm. And every brood frame, he makes sure he's got like a palm of your hand number of bees. He says, you don't need a lot of bees, the brood's capped. And he puts them in as well. So he's, he's basically taken all the brood out of all his hives and he's put them in what he calls brood collectors, which are hives that have got no queen. So he's, so he's leaving the nurse bees on there. Some of them, not all of them. He doesn't take. He just said. He said like he held just his hat. Like yeah. Yeah, he held his hand up. He said, "You need you need a patch of bees about the size of your hand on each frame." He's pub- I'll put the the link to the the paper that he mm. did this off. He's, he's published it, and he puts that in a separate box, and then he replaces um, either withdrawn or foundation those that space in the box, and he closes it up, and then. What he, what he does is if he puts a drawn frame in, because he wants to capture the varroa, he waits until that frame's capped, he takes that one out and he puts it, either kills it or he puts it in the, in the brood collector. But he does a full refresh. Uh, he takes out all the brood, so he takes all the most of the varroa with it. And so in his paper, what he shows is, is that it has a minimal impact and sometimes it's a beneficial sort of, pro to honey production mm. so if you do it during the flow those bees have nothing to do other than to build wax and collect ne- and nectar fill it up. and because they're not because those worker bees aren't managing brood 
So brood really shortens a bee's life, looking after it. Mm. So, so those bees live longer. Like you said, they basically turn into winter bees for a couple of weeks. Mm. And um, the graphs he was showing, he was saying, look, if I do it, if I do it early, it does have an impact. If I do it too late, it doesn't have an impact. But the thing he was showing was uh, it kept, by doing that in June, beginning of the flow, he didn't have to treat at all because he pulled the varroa. He'd broken, the brood cycle broken the yeah. varroa. And a really interesting thing he said was that a mite's physiology changes when it becomes established in a hive, which was, I never heard that before. He's so, God, I haven't heard that. He said, at, when, when they get used to laying, their physiology changes and they just turn into breeding machines. But mm. when they think they're on a swarm and there's no brood, they change their physiology. And he said, you reset it, and it takes them a, about two brood cycles to get back in the reproduction mode, which I'd never heard of. God, they're evil things, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing he does with the brood, because that, that looked really cool. I, I'm going to try that on some of my highs uh, next year. But I like what he did with the brood. So he puts the brood mm. in these collectors, and he lets them hatch. And then he says that you can even let them raise emergency queens or you can put queen cells. And then when all the broods hatched, before they're laying, he treats them with oxalic. Right. So he just blasts all the right. things out. So I like that method because you're not wasting that brood. That tens that is, of thousands that is of the bees. Clever. I, yeah. You're getting the benefit of the shook swarm. Mm. Uh, I guess the struggle is if you can make it through May swarming. Yeah. If you make it through then, then I'm going to do it. So that's basically my selection criteria. If I make it through the May swarming, I'll do it at the beginning of June. Mm. If I see swarming before May, I'm going to put it on a snow grow board. Mm. But it was a really interesting talk. And he kind of, it was the, out of the four lectures he gave, it was one at the back where he, he was saying, he was essentially taking all the principles of um, resistant populations, local bees, how you select, you know, selection techniques, and he was kind of ending up with, and this is how you support your bees by keeping varroa low, but not not treating. Because his point was, and then, I mean, um, was it Heather Matelier? Yeah. Is it Heather Matelier? I think so. Last one, she was one of Tom Seeley's. Yeah. She's a, she's Stu- a, yeah. Well, she's her own. She, yeah, yeah yes but she um we asked her, i remember asking her an elevator you did said oh yeah could they come resistant and she said well you stop treating them and actually manage it mm. with non-chemical treatments you could we wouldn't need chemical treatments yeah and that was his point it was not that you can't you have to leave them alone and they'll survive but by doing these biotechnical Yes. Interventions. Absolutely. And measure, and he measures it as well. He measures his varroa and his hides. Because by doing that and doing the brood bake, your dog's very keen today. I know. I'm going to have to. Leave her. She'll be fine. Okay. Sound effect. Yeah. Sounds like we're out on the hunt. But <laughs> <laughs> by doing a biotechnical mean uh, intervention, mm. and his point was you've got to do it. There's no point doing it in August when they made all the winter bees. And there's no real point. And he said, you can't really, if you do it too early, they, they might just reestablish really quickly. Mm. He's kind of doing it just as they're ramping up and he's breaking that brood cycle for two weeks. And then the bot mites are kind of confused. I think they've swarmed and they've got to reset themselves. And I'll see, because I've got the presentation. I downloaded it off their, their website. So if you just. Oh, is it up? Are the presentations up already? No, not yet. So I, right. we haven't said those. Mm. The, the National Honey Show put all these presentations online on YouTube. And you can sit and watch them. So um, there's some amazing ones there. You just got to go and this massive resource. It's all free. Mm. It's, I mean, it's an amazing organisation. It is. It's great, actually, isn't it? But um, I know you missed that one, but I thought Tracy would have loved this. Do you know, I would have loved that. And I'm really sorry I missed it because I only went one day this year, which is a first for me. Normally I'm I'm there when the doors open and know, I'm the first one in the lecture theatre. The pub's taking to down. I'm not going to know why. Going, What's this terrible year? <laughs> Um, but I, I really like the sound of that. The thing that frightens me a little bit about it, I don't know if I would have the, the courage to shook swarm them in June. Like 
Because, you know, normally you do it in April. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't do it to stop them swarming because it doesn't stop them swarming um, always. Sometimes it does. Um, but to shook swarm at the flow, obviously I understand the rationale because that's the height of the brood rearing. Yeah. And if you can break it then, that's when you're going to get the most yeah. results, the best results. But to, to take my colonies, you know, during the flow and, I mean, I'm going to have to try it. It's well, so not really scary I'm going to have to try it. just taking the brood out. However, he has two other methods of doing the same thing. So the other one is to put it in a cage. You know, you cage the frame. Yeah. So you take the frame. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he does that for, I can't remember, it's a long time, it's like a month. Yeah. And then there's another technique that he's he's seen um, Italian. So he said, like, Italian commercial producers, um, their problem is because the season never ends, a lot of those, a lot of those bees, uh, a lot of those mites are resistant to treatments. Mm. so what the, the Italian keepers do, and you've shown pictures of it, is they get a queen cage, like the size of your hand, and yeah. they embed it. Now there's Nacot. Yeah. Like the yeah. queen rearing kits that you put in a – same, but it's a queen cage. And what they do is they put the queen in the cage and they lock her in on her own for a month, and they basically do the queen break, the brood break, by just locking this queen in a little plastic cage. And she runs around for a month and they let her out. And he wow. said it's a really popular technique now because it it stimulates a brood break. Um, it's pretty simple for them to do it on a commercial sale because they just find a queen and put her in, in this cage. He said they, they make the cage frames. They never take them out of the hive because they're surrounded in wax and they can add it. So mm. either way, he said that's a good good technique, right? So. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a whirl. If I can get to mine, mine start to go swarmy in May. But yeah. If I find ones that get to June, I'm gonna give it a whirl because it. From what he was saying, and the, the evidence he had from his studies of, it's got like 300 hives he did it against across lots of different locations. Um, it has a really minimal impact on honey production, and if there's a heavy flow, yeah, actually you produce more honey. Because mm. the bees haven't got nothing else to do. Because mm. they're not. I mean, obviously, wax is incredibly yeah. resource intensive. But not for resource intensive. Is raising brood. Mm. He says that's what that's what kills the worker bees quickly. Mm. So really, and it was a really good way to finish because up to that point it'd been quite fascinating. Because that's another good thing that the Honey Show do is they they pick good storytellers. Their main, their sort of keynote speaker team. Are really good at telling stories. I mean, the the, mm. the, the honey, the the hornet one we just spoke about. Um, Tom Seeley's a master at it, and and, yeah. and and Ralph was really uh, engaging. Now, last last year we had um, Clarence, who's the science editor of Bee Culture, and he was like a really big character. Um, I loved it. I thought that was fascinating. I, as I said, I wish I'd seen it. Um, because, yeah, that's kind of right up my street, those kind of manipulations. I really enjoy doing them and I like the science behind, you know, yeah, breaking the Varroa breeding cycle. Um, well, the biotechnical method of breaking the breeding cycle, um, you know, because, yeah, I, I mean, I would love not to use Varroa sides, you know, if I didn't yeah. have to. And I'm sure if I put my mind to it, I could – well, I mean, I only use – I, I treat them twice a year. So yeah. I, I've just done Apivar and then I'll do oxalic acid um, if I've got any bees left. But anyway, that's another story. Um, oh, you had a chat with him, don't you, about that? You I did and, have a chat with him. I pushed you up there with a the cattle prod. Shall I go and deal with Doggy. the, no, the dog? Doggy. No, right. Adds character to Are the podcast. Are you sure? Podcast. I think she wants to go out. All right. We're gonna, we're Should gonna we pause take a pause? Now. We're going to put some elevator music in. Yeah. You can sing. There you go, Tracy's. What have you done with the dog? <laughs> I, so I let her gone out. Now. I let think her there's out. a fox in the garden. She's going crazy. She'll probably eat it. <laughs> probably. All right. Yuck. Um, it's funny your house because you you got well, you got one dog, two cats. Yeah. So the dog barks, and then you go and see the dogs. <laughs> 
and then the cat doesn't like it because you're giving the dog too much attention <laughs> and you get meow, meow, meow. It's like a, I know. It's crazy. It's like a Sometimes. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about yeah. chronic bee paralysis virus because you've been on the oh, hunt, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, I've been on the, sorry. The hunt for a oh, solution. Abso- well, absolutely. And, um, I mean, this is another good thing about the Honey Show, which is is amazing, is that you get access to people like Ralph who are happy to talk to you. I mean, so, I mean, I wasn't going to go and talk to him because I didn't feel confident enough. I said to you, I don't want to talk to mum too shy. And you said, don't be ridiculous. When do you get the chance to, you know, talk to a world expert? And I thought, okay, good point. Um, That's true though, because you are the chance to talk to the random guy at the association who says he knows it. Mm. Very rarely do you get to talk to someone who spent 20 years legitimately researching them so and he's a lovely guy as well and the thing that really impresses me about these speakers and I think Thomas Seeley was the same when you ask them a question it's like there's no such thing there's no such thing as a stupid question to them anything you ask them they really consider like I I told him what had been happening with chronic bee paralysis virus to my bees and um you know, he asked me questions and I explained the situation and he was really considering what I was saying and and he kind of gave me some advice. Um, although sadly, as he said, there's not a lot of advice he can give because they don't really know much about it. Um, so, I yeah, he. I mean, it was great to talk to him and actually I spoke to the National Bee Unit as well because they had a yeah. stand in the trade hall Um so they also gave me some advice and said not a lot is known about it. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, just even to just have it affirmed that I'm doing everything I can to try to get them through um, was was great. But he was just so, so nice. You just kind of think, God, you know, you're really important and you don't have to be standing here talking to me about my dead bees. Um, but... Yeah, he he really seemed to care about it, um, which I guess you you would if you were head of the Bee Institute. So, no, I'm I'm sorry I missed that one, but I am going to try. I am going to try some of those things next year. Um, so that's cool. It, oh, hang on, my glasses are full. He's got his glasses. Oh my god! I know I'm old. Stuck now. in his eye. Why did I kill my requirement for glasses? Um, so the day that I came, I went to an interesting lecture. Well, you were there um, about Langstroth, and the topic was uh, whether Langstroth was the father of modern beekeeping or a man in the right place at the right time. Um, and it kind of went through the history of the beehive. Yeah. From kind of skep to what we have now, well, skep to Langstroth. And um, I was really surprised. I was really surprised at how many beehives there have been over the past kind of 200 years who, ha- who which really have yeah. grasped the concept of movable frames and the importance of bee space but haven't managed to kind of... Get the magic. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And they all had funny little doors in the sides. <laughs> he made me laugh because it was that it was like a Goldilocks story, wasn't it? He kind of Langstroth got on the one that was just right. Yeah, and, yeah. But yeah, he said. He said, and one thing you'll notice is you showing the pictures of these old hives. Goes, they've all got doors. Yeah. He said, I don't know why they like doors, but they all had a thing about doors. You can just imagine, you know, like all of these 18th century vicars or something, kind of opening the little door and having a look inside. Um, yeah, so I I actually really enjoyed that. Um, it just was kind of, it was a bit lighter and, yeah. you know, lots of pictures to look at. It wasn't all about, you know, flight, flight mechanics and uh, no. pollen no. and, yeah. That would have been too much for me that particular day. Yeah. I did like it. I like, I like when he was showing the pictures and some of them just looked like a cabinet with loads of drawers in it. Yeah. And um, I know, it was, some of them were funny, like a sideboard. Yeah. Or... <laughs> Or a drinks trolley or something. Welsh, Welsh dresser. 
The one, the one that I thought was interesting was the, the leaf hive. Did you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yes. So, that was, yeah. so the way to explain a leaf hive, if you make up loads of frames, say you make 10 frames up and you put together with a piece of string, that's a leaf hive. It was essentially the frames held together mm. by leather straps mm. without a box. We'd, mm. we'd be, the bit but was, got the bee space was yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at it and thinking, well, you've worked out bee space. How, how have you worked out that a box would be easier than leather straps? <laughs> and, and he was saying, well, the weakness of this was you had to take it apart to inspect it. <laughs> that was got me. Like, why, why can you work out the next step to put in a box? Um, yeah, that was interesting. That was a, that was a, and he had an interesting style because he, He'd obviously given that presentation quite a few times mm. and he kind of drifted off a little side thing and we started talking about you know, fighter jets and that's quite it made it quite entertaining. <laughs> um other one I liked was uh John Donahue was a you know a, a, a Irish um bee farm and he was talking about honey, uh preparing your hives for honey production. And it's like this the little tidbits you get. So he says one of his good indicators if bees are thinking about swarming is you'll find eggs, but you won't find any eggs in the uncapped, un- re- recently emerged brood cells. Mm. They don't bother polishing them. They, you won't find any eggs in them. Mm. He said, so you start to see eggs not in the the new stuff, in the brood nest. That makes sense, doesn't that's a it? Good, yeah, you think good that, tip. that makes sense. But I know me, I'm gonna, that's going to be my, well, I'm just going to look for that, look for that, and then I'll swarm. Or they won't swarm. Um, what else did I like? I like some of the stands. We went to see the sparkling mead guy. Yeah, that's Didn't sparkling you? mead. Yeah. Which um, you smashed. I, you know oh, yeah, did I did. Yeah. <laughs> I had three samples. Yeah. Maybe that's why I don't remember much about the first lecture. Okay, so do you want to no, it one? would take a lot more than that with me. Really? Yeah. Big drink, Trace. Yeah, that's it. More than three thimblefuls of mead. Um, but that was mead from Heather Honey. Nice. Got I think we it. both bought the same one. We each yeah. bought the same one. Um, Took him three years really to Really nice. It. From the Northumberland Honey Company. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Remembering. Beautiful. Um, mead made with a champagne method. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. And he said it takes three years to make a bottle of it. Yeah. I can't. I'm going to have that at Christmas. Explains why it's 40 quid a bottle. It was not, uh, I haven't drunk it yet. I was tempted. Uh, I wonder. I wondered if you'd cracked it open when well, you got home. I was tempted to, but I thought, no, I'm going to save it for something special. Yeah. Um, so this is the first year in years you haven't put an entry in. That's right. I didn't. I didn't Slacker. do. I know. Well, I didn't have enough honey. I had to prioritise right. selling rather than. Not that it takes that much honey to show, but I think my heart wasn't in it because of my poor bees and what happened to them. Um, so my heart wasn't really in it. And, you know, yeah, I could have got out the piece of wax that I showed last year and, should have, you know, won a prize oh. with. So... Um, <laughs> dog barking again. The dog's barking again. I'm Aww. so sorry. It's because I'm here by myself. I know, you're home trying alone. Trying to babysit all of these crazy animals. You're home alone. Anyway. I have to say, the house is very... I was, I was expecting a nightmare. Oh, I've come, come round your gaff and it's, it's looking good. Oh, thank you. Like I said, I did have a tidy before you came round. <laughs> are you going to go again now? Yeah? Hold on, i just got to go again. I'll see you music. So we've been joined by the dog now. Yeah, she's in here now. What have you fed her? A dentist stick. Oh, she's loving that. Look at I know that. she's. Well, she's a big dog. She <laughs> she beast. likes her food. Um, she just wants to be in here with us. I think that's the problem. Well, with me. With well, of course. Well, <laughs> did you know what? That's true because you're you're new, like you're you're different. She's had enough of me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what were we saying? We were talking about oh yeah, show entries. So we didn't do that this year. That was a bit disappointing. But I will be back. I no. will return. Well, you've got the mead bug now, haven't you? Don't you want to make mead? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I do want to make mead. All right. I've got a mead book I've never read. I'll lend it to you. I'm going to find a course. Ooh. Because you can, you can make mead in your honey shed, can't you? 
I could. But, you know, it's funny because I was thinking, well, you know, it's like so on the curve, isn't it, Mead? On you know, the with curve. The, Well, in terms of like craft brewing and all that kind of stuff that's happening. So like Mead, <laughs> Mead is going to be the thing. But then when I saw the Northumberland Honey Company and how well they're doing it, I mean, their stuff is nice. Um, yeah, they're pitching it the alternative to champagne, yeah. thing, don't they? Whereas other people pitch it at the – because I think he was saying on the store, wasn't he? He said the, the problem with mead is – he said it's a bit like the Wild West. He said because you can have mead beer that you can make in seven days. Yeah. And he goes, or you can have this, which is sparkling mead, that takes three years to get to bottle. Yeah. He said, but they're both mead. It was a really interesting conversation about how that market's going to define mm. itself. But then they're no award winning. He was saying he sent they ship their stuff to biggest mead show in the world in the US, and they came. I think it was second or third. Mm. Oh, that's great! Except this year when he got sent back by customs. Oh god! So um, hello, dog. Dog's coming to see what I'm doing now. Yeah, go away. Um, yeah. So that that was a honey show. I really enjoyed that. Um, and you were very restrained with your shopping, as we said. No Polly. No I was poly. very tempted. There's some good poly highs out there. Um, and I, something else you did, which I thought was a great idea, was you joined the Central Association. Of beekeepers? Yeah. I did. I was tempted. So what they do is um, they're not really a beekeeper association, but their, mm. their mission, their sort of mandate is to, um, they call it bringing bring science to beekeepers. So they work with... All the researchers globally to kind of consolidate information and present it back to the public in a consumable form. Mm. So instead of having to go and find all the papers and read it, they kind of give you the bits you want to use. The, they, I guess they make it practically applicable. So um, I found that, yeah, I've joined that. Um, it's a good deal, actually. You joined, I think it's 15 quid, and they send you brochures and a newsletter. It sounds and, great. Uh, and they have a t- they've they have talks that you can go to. Um, they have a spring and a summer uh, winter conference where they mm. get presenters in. So I thought I'd give that a whirl. Well, they've got a talk in February, I think it is, where um, is it Professor Giles Budge? I think it is, who is I believe doing some research on chronic bee paralysis virus. Um, so he's going to be speaking at that. So I'm definitely going to go to that. Um, it's up north though. Yeah. See in Yorkshire. Yeah. All right. We're going to do a road trip. <laughs> Actually, we should do a road trip. Or in your Scooby wagon. Yeah. The and mystery van. Or the actual car that works. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we could stop and see some people on the way. What? Um, you know, she's, she, she wants to sit beside you. Is Sorry that why about she's worked that. her way up on the ship? Yeah, <laughs> she's... Oh, whatever. I've got this massive dog in my ear. Hang on, Tracy's moving over to handle the dog. Oh. It's not normally like this. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Hang on, we've just got to sort the mutt out. There you go. She's on the sofa now. Good girl, honey. Yeah. Nice little picture. Um, yeah, I oh, see. That's all she wanted. Oh, look, she's now posing for the photo. <laughs> Good girl, lie down. You are such a show off. There we go. I'm going to put that on my That's Instagram. what you get for having a dog called Honey, I guess. <laughs> so, um, distracted now. I wish I'd been able to go more this year, but, um, you know, it was good just to go for one day. And I got my fish finger sandwich. Met some friends. So, went for a beer. Yeah, that was nice. It's always nice. So, have you, have you finished your winterization of your hives now? I have. I finished it on Sunday. Showing off now. All done. All done. What about you? Um, I've turned all the food off, so I've fed them. Um, I put those nice um, polycarbonate crown boards on so you can see the bees. Yeah, they're great. So I got those this year because um, I take the lid off now, have a peek and see what they're doing. Um, I've got to go back next weekend and put the mouse guards on. Mm. Cool. Because I got the hunt. I got the the entrances are the, the, as small as they can be. I just need mm. to make the entrance larger. Put the put the mm. put that on. But they're all strapped in now, so yep. they can't blow away. The only thing I haven't done is put the chicken wire around them. Um, but yeah. I'll I'll do that. So I'm going to try. I'm trying wraps this year. 
Oh, yeah, wraps. you said you bought those. Are they yeah. the black ones? Yeah. Yeah. Because the chicken wire works, but what I find with the chicken wire is it's a real bugger to store because it's so big. You end up with this just mound of yeah, wire. I know. I've got rolls of it in my shed. Yeah, so the the, the, the wraps, mm. they just roll up really tight and mm. you store them anywhere. So I'm going to try those. Um, God, can you believe that it's winter, that, that we're now in winter? We're still going to be 14 degrees next week. Well, what I would like would be for it to stop raining for a while <laughs> so that my bees can get out and fly. I mean, I'm hoping we're going to get a really cold winter because I'm hoping based on no scientific <laughs> knowledge or evidence whatsoever. You're hoping based on hope. I'm hoping it will help to kill that virus because out of the – so I've got eight colonies um, – and most of them are sick. Most of them are showing signs of chronic bee paralysis virus. Right. Um, however, I've got a few really, really strong colonies. Um, and the ones at Beddington. Pretty far. Yep. Are just absolute beasts. They're, they're fantastic colonies. Why are so, you wearing your Pooh Farm hat? Well, I was going to, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't want you to mention it on the podcast. What, the poo farm hat? <laughs> yes. So, because um, I get bored. I, I, <laughs> I made some hat. I got some baseball hats. I have to put a picture on the blog. I put, um, which has got our logo, and underneath it it says poo farm bees. And the last time Tracy came around my house, I, I was wearing one, <laughs> and it took about 10 minutes to work out what it was saying. <laughs> so, I was just thinking, why is he wearing a hat in the house? <laughs> Oh, it's cool. It says poo, poo, poo farm bees across the top. People look at it and go, what's that mean? Actually, they look really good. They're great. They're a Merch. great colour. <laughs> They're a great colour. They're actually the lavender colour. Yeah, I got them. I did that on mm. purpose. I did plan it. <laughs> <laughs> so those bees, are, those bees are great. Poo okay? farm bees. Yep. They're, they're not in this yet. They're, they're good touch wood. Um, <laughs> uh, and... The um, owners, the manager at Thames Water, at Thames Water, yeah. um, has has been really supportive this year because he knows my other bees are sick. So he said I can leave them there cool. all year, which is fantastic. Um, Underlines the importance of having two apries. Well, I've yeah, I've worked worked out that the one I really miss is an isolation apiary yeah. because if I'd been able to get not, I, I think the, the first outbreak, there's nothing I could have done about that. It was so swift, but this last one, if I could have got that colony out, I think some of the others would have been right. Okay. But your colony with the yellow queen is fine. So it's, it's, re- yeah, yeah, they're fine. It's really weird how that's an old queen. Some of them have got it and others haven't. What's that third year is in? Yeah. Yeah, she's lovely. They're nice bees, actually. Yeah. So. Not bred by me, but they're, they're, they're very nice. But like you said, I think you said about a month ago when they were getting sick again, um, you said, look, just feed them and put them to bed for winter. Yeah. And, and then see what happens. And that's what everyone said. And that's all I can do and just not make too many plans for next year until I work out how many I've got left. Um, and there's, I, the way I look at it is obviously you don't want your bees to die, but there's always more bees. I mean, you've got I know, you know I enough know. beekeepers. Yeah. Come summer, everyone's trying to get rid of them. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. There's always more stock. I, I guess it's just... And that's a nice thing to say. And John was nice as well. He was yeah. said, you know, you'll be, you'll be fine. We'll have to have John back on the show. Yeah, lovely His John. His not so big. Mm. Because uh, John, uh, we have John on the show, and uh, he's got the most popular episode of this podcast ever. Has got John on it, and he's very proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that, what Ralph said to you took him what how many years to get rid of it? I think he said oh, this was really depressing. I'm sure he said that they had it um, ten years ago, and it took them seven years to get rid of it to fully get rid of it. So. 
I don't know. I'm, I'm trying not to think about it too much, but I mean, I suspect, again, based on no scientific knowledge, um, I suspect it's going to be something that I've got now and I'm going to have outbreaks of it, but hopefully they won't be as catastrophic as the one that I had at the beginning of this year, which just wiped out, well, 15 colonies. Yeah. So, but I I want another apiary so I can get a couple of nukes and start we'll another. Do a Facebook trick. We'll get one. Yeah. That works perfectly. Find a local group near somewhere where you want to put beehives and put a post on that face group, book yeah. group, and they appear like magic. Yeah. We'll try that. So I think we're coming to the end of the show. So I've got a new section for the show and I've even got a jingle for it. You ready? <laughs> Ready? Here we come. (laughs) This is uh, Tracy's bagpipe update. I can't believe that. (laughs) So regular listeners to the podcast will know that uh, Tracy's learning how to play the learning how to play the bagpipe. That's not me playing, by the way. No, 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 that's quite good. That one, but. um, And I'm, and I'm frankly fascinated by it, why anyone would want to learn the bagpipe. So every month now we're going to discuss, we're going to have the tra- Tracy's bagpipe update. <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? I told you I had a new section. You didn't know what it was. Well, you said you had a surprise section at the like end. the jingle. <laughs> okay, so, so my you- bagpipes. <laughs> so I'm- all I know from the bagpipes is mm. you're not allowed to do it when someone else is in the house uh, and, and or when the neighbours are home <laughs> and your bagpipe teacher's reasonably hot that's basically not what no, I know no 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 I thought you had a thing about kilts I do but he doesn't wear it oh okay he's safe when, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so okay I absolutely love it I love it so what are you doing then where are you with it now you're still playing the flutey bit so, yeah, so you you play the fluty bit, which is called a practice chanter. Oh, okay. So, you know, in the pipes, you've got the the bit with the holes where your fingers you, play. You demonstrate your hands, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping you'll help me describe it. So you've um, got the recorder bits that hang down from the it's bottom. Ki- of the yeah, bag. it's kind of like a recorder, but it's not. And, it's, and it looks like a, it's looks completely like a penny not. whistle. Yeah, it's not that either. Oh, okay. However, however, it is kind of like that. So you you start learning on one of those because right. obviously you can't just pick up the whole bag with all the pipes and because it's it's really really complicated. Like it's a lot more complicated than I thought because I play the piano. I thought, oh well, I know all this stuff. Yeah. But anyway, so I'm still playing that, but I'm doing stuff that's starting to sound like bagpipe music. Oh, I know. I know. And this this week I'm hoping to get my first little piece of music. Oh, you're actually going to play a tune? Yeah. Holy moly. In time for Christmas. So you learn your left hand first, in time for Burns Night. Yeah, I think you'd be a bit ambitious there, <laughs> frankly. No, Burns Night, January. No, oh, no. is it January? Yeah. So, yeah. So what's the first tune you learn then? I don't know. I, I... Is it Rock Around the Clock? <laughs> That's it. Polly Bolly Doodle. <laughs> So I'm just fascinated <laughs> you're learning to play vampires. I, I think it's amazing. Well, when I can play, actually play something, yeah, I I promise you will be the first person to hear it. No, I'm pretty sure I'll be the second or the twentieth. Yeah, you've given the how loud road. they are. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to say that if, as a beekeeper mm. uh, who puts like stores supers and things in a back garden, so you get loads of bees appearing and annoying the neighbours. Why did you think I'm already annoying the neighbours? <laughs> Sod it, I might as well go for a bagpipe. Is that what you thought? It's because I want to be able to play to my bees. Why? I think they'll love it. I don't think they will. I do. I think they'll love it. I've I've played them all kinds of music. Really? Seriously. What's their favourite music? ACDC. Really? Yeah. Respect. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because I told them to, but yeah. <laughs> told them to. that too. Yeah. Oh, okay. So. That's Tracy's bagpipe update. I'm gonna have to get I'm gonna have to get someone with a Scottish accent to record that. Did you like the logo? I love I love it. I, I just yeah, I well, hopefully I'll be able to play something soon. Right, okay. I think I think we're gonna we're gonna end the podcast now that I've 
<laughs> Go on, you end. I was chuckling away as I was driving <laughs> over there. I was giggling as I did that. Um, well, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can find us at thebeehivedrive.com. Uh, you can also find us at Twitter at The Beehive Drive. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the show, please subscribe to it. And if you could do us a favour and leave a review on whichever podcast app you use, it'd be, gro- be be great because it really helps people uh, find our show. So thank you and uh, speak to you soon. Bye. by the way. Oh what? Your umlauts. <laughs>